the Spirit of God just deals with me kind of like this, that I find myself praying, and what I find myself praying a lot about, I just get the idea that God kind of wants to speak to me. And I've been praying a lot about five things. I've been praying about lifting Jesus up. I've been praying about walking in holiness and sanctification. I've been praying about signs and wonders and healings and, and all that. And I've been praying about people being baptized in the Holy Ghost and walking in the power of God. And I've been praying about being ready for the return of Christ. Those five things I find myself praying about often. And they just kind of been consuming me. And so I thought, well, maybe the Lord is uh, dealing with me about a sermon series that, that, I will, that I need to preach. And I came to, uh, to the decision. I thought that's what God was wanting. And so I'm going out publicly and saying to you that for the, at least the next five weeks, according to if God wills, that I'll be preaching on those five titles. And we'll be, this is how that the church... This church, I'm not talking about the universal church, the Berea Church of God, how I believe God wants us to prepare for the last days because people are going to want a church that is Jesus-centered. They, they're, no, they're not going to want a church that is denomination-centered. They're going to want a church that is Jesus-centered. And they're going to want a church that lifts Jesus up. They, they don't want a church that is liberal politically or conservative politically. They're looking where they can find Jesus. And so we're going to be Jesus-centered here. We're going to talk about him. We're going to lift him up. He's going to be the center of all we do. We're going to sing about him. We're going to teach about him. We're going to preach about him. We're going to pray to him. We're going to honor him. And we're going to be unashamedly tell people that you cannot get to heaven outside of Jesus. That the only way to get to heaven is through him. And that there's no other way to get there. And, I'm, and, you, and, and we're not going to tell you anything other than that. And because that's what saith the word of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 1, and if you would stand with me, please, we're going to read the first three verses of Scripture. And I'm going to be reading from the King James, Hebrews chapter three, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The writer says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholdeth all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You can be seated if you'd like to be. I'm going to be preaching today on why I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God's revelation to the human race. Uh, God talked to the human race from the start, from the very beginning. He began with Adam and he spoke to him. You know that he walked through the garden and had conversations with Adam. And God is still speaking to us today. God speaks to us in different ways. He spoke in his, uh, he speaks to us in what I call a rhema word. A rhema word, for lack of a better explanation, is a personal word. I call it from God's mouth to your ear. The God is a personal word for you. 
that it will speak it into your, into your spirit. And we call that a rhema word. He also speaks through his agents. He speaks through prophets. He speaks through angels. But he speaks to us uh, through the scripture. But in these last days, the highest form of communication with God is through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the living and the written word of God. The Bible declares that Jesus is the exalted one of God and that he is better than the angels. He is God's revealed gift to the human race. And a revelation from God is necessary or required for you to know who Jesus is. Because without revelation, we only know him as the historical Jesus or the good works Jesus or the mystical Jesus. But when you have a, a revelation that he is Savior, that he's Lord, that he's God, that he's eternal, that he died for you, that he was buried for you, he rose from the dead for you, ascended back to heaven for you, and he's coming again for you, then that changes everything, hallelujah to God. We're just not reading a storybook about him. We're just not hearing bedtime stories about him. We're here to talk about a living God that died for our sins, a Savior that loves you more than you'll ever understand and ever, ever realize. He's not came back yet uh, or come back yet, but he is. You can count on it. Any moment, any time, the trumpet of God can sound, and one day it will sound, and we'll rise to meet him in the air and spend eternity with him. Somebody help me give God some praise in the house. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And so we, we understand that, and that's why we want to talk about him. Because I have noticed that there's a lot going on in the church world. Not all of it good, but there's a lot of good things going on in the church world. There is a, a, a surge of anointing that's going on in this, right now in, this, in the church world that I've been amazed at. And I want to save it for a later sermon if the Lord will tarry is coming, but I want to share some prophetic word with you about what God said he would do in the last days. And I will share that uh, in, a, in, in this series later on. But God has made some promises and God said he was going to do some things and God is going to do some things. And there are some practical things we need to think about. We need to think about the church in the book of Acts, number one. We read about the church in the book of Acts, and we read about how they filled cities with their doctrine. We read about how the Jerusalem was filled with their doctrine. We read about Antioch, and, and uh, scholars say that Antioch, the church at Antioch, grew to be the largest church in the, in, in the ch local congregation in the church that probably had somewhere of 10,000 members. And in Jerusalem, they had grown, we know, to at least 5,000 members. And the Bible said that everywhere they went, they just preached Jesus. And whenever they preached Jesus, miracles happened. And whenever they preached Jesus, devils was cast out. And wherever they preached Jesus, lives were changed. And I just want to tell you, Berea Church of God, if things turned around because of preachers that preached Jesus to cities that were idolatrous cities that were bound by sin and darkness, then what should we ever think that will change the world by talking about current events or being all things to all men and trying to tickle people's ears when they come to the house of God? I'm not going to have you go to hell and God, and God hold your blood over my head. I'm telling you right now now, that if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to make it. And we got to preach him, teach him, talk about him, sing about him, testify. I'm glad I know Jesus. How about you? Do I have a witness in the house today? I'm glad I know him. 
I'm glad I know him. The Bible said that, that, that we know he's the son of God because the Old Testament uh, revelation of who he was. The Bible said that God spoke in time past in divers ways, sundry ways. Sundry just means a variety. And so there was a variety of ways and different ways that God spoke to us through the prophets. The Bible said that God spoke by them. You could read that if you wanted to. You could read in the Old Testament and you could read the opening uh, messages of many, if not all, of the prophets. And they would talk about how the word of the Lord came to me or God spoke to me, or God said this, and they just recorded what the, what, what the Holy Ghost was bearing in their soul, that God spoke to prophets of old that, that wrote. And then Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, he said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, and doctrine. He told him that it all is God-breathed. That's what inspiration means that God literally breathed from the Holy Ghost into writers and they wrote as the Spirit of God inspired them to write the Word of the Lord and they wrote the Word of God. Why is it that we believe in inspiration? Why is inspiration necessary? I, I'm not an expert at the uh, putting together of the canon of the, of the book. I have some understanding, but I'm not an expert. I'm not going to get into all that today. But there's always some debate. Somebody always wants to debate about, well, what about this book and the book of Maccabees and uh, the book of Enoch and the book of Thomas and they name off these books that they, that there's always somebody around that says, well, I think, I think that they should have been a part or whatever and I'm not here to debate them. I'm just here to tell you I trust the Holy Ghost and I trust what the Spirit of God did. And the Spirit of God spoke to men and inspired men. And when the canon was established, spirit-filled men followed the leading of the Spirit of God and researched all these letters and all these different books and all this that was said. And they came to an understanding that the writings were not inspired as the books that were chosen were. And so they closed the canon. They closed the book. And that's and inspiration is why we cling to it and preach it and talk about it because without inspiration, we do not have a book called the Bible. The inspiration is vital because inspiration secures the unity and the truth of the record. You can study the Word of God. There are places where people say, well, it's contradicted here and there, and, but it, it is not. I can guarantee you the Word of God is not contradicting itself it must be rightly divided when there there is no contradiction when the scripture is rightly divided think about uh, the inspiration of the word and how it eliminates that think about this there were 40 writers of the bible they wrote 66 different books over a 1800 year span and yet the Bible is, 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 is accurate in science and in history. It is accurate in its truth and its revelation. As I said, over 3,000 prophecies have already been fulfilled. So we're not here preaching out of Brahms fairy tales and we're not out here telling you some mother goose rhymes. We're not here telling you stories to make you feel good about yourself. 
We're here to tell you about a God that loves you and a God that is eternal and a God that is on the throne of his glory, a God that overlooks his creation and a Savior that died on a cross for you. I'm telling you, you can trust the word of God today. Well, hallelujah, somebody better help me praise him. You can trust the book. You can trust it because God is, has made it so. When I said that uh, the, the, the word was accurate in science and history, think about this. The Bible is not a science book, but it's a book about science. It is not a history book, but it's a book about history. When Michael Knight was here preaching for us in revival, my dear friend Michael Knight, our friend, he loves his church and we love him, Michael's written two books on uh, biblical archaeology. And uh, I'm reading them again, and they're, they're good reads. They're tough reads, but they're good reads. But I remember Michael told us when he was preaching, you that were here, I hope you remember this. He said that archaeology does not prove the word of God is true. It proves, that the word, but it proves what the word of God said is true. That about, for instance, he mentioned the ancient empire of the Hittites. I had read a long time ago that many doubters of the Bible used the ancient empire of the Hittites to prove that the Bible was not true. Because the Hittites, this group of people, are mentioned throughout the Old Testament. And there was no archaeological, 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 that word, record, Interpretation, please. <laughs> Record of the Hittites. And so they say, well, that proves that that's not true. And so I want to tell you all something that you already know. That if the devil can cause you to doubt one sentence in the Bible, it ruins the whole record. That's why that the first 10 verses are false so much. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first 10 words, I'm sorry, are false so much because if the devil can trip you up on creation, he's got you tripped up on the rest of the book. This, uh, this guy that I've talked about, this friend of mine, that uh, this acquaintance of mine is a part of a cult that doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God and doesn't believe he's, you know, anything about that. And so that just destroys everything. He, he says he's a believer and he's a God worshiper, and he's going to go to heaven and all that, but he rejects Jesus. And understand that if you fall apart on Jesus, all of it falls apart. That if you think, well, he's not the son of God, then it all falls apart. If you say, well, it's not a part of the Trinity, then it all falls apart. If you don't believe that he, there's power in his blood, it all falls apart then I'm telling you, church, that's why the Bible is so, uh, so, so accurate. And so while we have to cling to everything it teaches and says, because if you get tripped up one place, it all falls apart. And so Michael Knight said that uh, there, there are archaeological discoveries of the Hittites that now prove that that part of the Bible is real. There are those that said that the pool of Bethesda was a figment of somebody's imagination, that there was no such thing as the pool of Bethesda that we read about in Luke chapter 5, about the porches and the healing and the miracle of Jesus. And they said, well, that wasn't, that wasn't true until they uncovered it 
digging it up. Michael Knight was there. I talked to him, and uh, I said, man, I, I read about that they, they found, they dug up the Pool of Bethesda, and he said, yeah. He said, I was just, I was there last time I was in Jerusalem. He said, I got to see it. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, that thing is huge. He said, it's as long as two football fields. And it's got all these steps around it they've uncovered that go down just like the record in the Bible, just like the Bible says. And he said, I got to see it. I got to see it. So it doesn't prove that there's a God, but it proves that what is in the Bible is true. Are you with me? And then, then Sodom and Gomorrah. I was watching uh, you, you can pull it up on YouTube. I mean, just, I mean, I did. I was just sitting one day bored and was uh, on my television, the YouTube app, and I watched this special about Sodom. Well, Sodom, not so much Gomorrah. But I won't bore you with the whole, with all of it, but I'll just take you to the dig that was there. They, went, they, they don't, tourists don't go to Sodom when they go to the Middle East, go to Israel. I don't know why. I'm not going to try to go there. But they, this guy was there being filmed, walking around, dug up Sodom. Now, we read about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain in the book of Genesis. And so he's walking and showing us Sodom. Walls, temples, and he's picking sulfur out of the ground. It just lays in the ground. I mean, it's everywhere. You would, uh, the doubter would think, well, it had been planted. But, I mean, watch it on YouTube. It's everywhere. Sulfur. The Bible says that God rained down sulfur and brimstone on Sodom. and said it just laying there. And he literally was picking it up and putting a lighter to it and catching it on fire. And it was burning there right, right, right on, on it. It was just an amazing thing to see. And Sodom is is being dug out of the ruins, uncovered, that you can see it all, but you can read it in the Bible and it matches right up with what, the, what they're discovering as they dig it up. The Pool of Bethesda and, and, and the Hittites, and I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. But Berea Church of God, I only bring that up to remind you, you can trust what saith the Word of God. If God said it in His book, you can trust it. You can count on it. What He said is true. Do I have a witness in the house today? You can trust what God said. It was delivered in many different ways, as I said, prophets, sacrifices, and, and such. And, and so we trust the Old Testament record. But there also is a New Testament revelation to who Jesus is. The Bible said that he fulfilled the Old Testament. He didn't come to do away with it. That's why I, that's important to read it because it's not done away with. It's still the Word of God. But Jesus came to fulfill it. He said in, Matt, in Matthew chapter 5, 17, he said, I've come to fulfill it, not to, not to reject. To fulfill means to complete it or to cause it to come to pass. So we have this New Testament revelation because he came to fulfill the Old Testament. He did bring it to pass. And the New Testament tells us it focuses and it's built around Jesus. Now we're Pentecostals, and I've said this a lot to you over the years. I've said this a lot to you, that we're Pentecostals, and our, if we had a golden text, it would be Acts 2, 1 through 4. And so we read that, and that's, we love that because that identifies us and our beginning as Pentecostals, I mean. 
And that's Bible, that's Word, and we, we rejoice in that. But what I love, I mean, I love all that, but when you go on down into that same chapter, Acts chapter 2, the Bible said Peter stood up and the 11 stood up with him. The 12 originals, Matthias taking Judas's place, disciples, apostles now stood up and Peter was the one that spoke. Peter said, ye men and brethren, said, hearken to my words. Thank you, Delana. Let's, let's, let's go to the next one. He, meant it. he said, these men are not drunk as you suppose at the third hour of the day. Let's move on. This is that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And let's move on. It came to pass in fulfilling of Joel. That's fulfillment of prophecy. One of the 3,000. Uh, let's move on. It's one of the 3,000. Uh, let's move on. And then uh, he, when he gets through talking about the prophecy of Joel, he says that Jesus. You know what I love about that? Is that he could have hung there about the prophetic fulfillment of Joel and been, been right biblically. He could have hung there about what was going on in the upper room. That's all cool. That was all wonderful. But he took them to Jesus. And that's what we have to do. That it's not about anything other than him. Because he is, Pentecostals, I want you to get this, Jesus is our Holy Ghost baptizer. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's doing that. And then he said, another place, if I go, I will send you another comforter that's going to take my place. And he did that. He said, he'll bow with you forever. He did that. So when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Ghost to dwell within us, to empower us. He is our Holy Ghost baptizer. So when we preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is not an absence of Jesus. It's an inclusive of Jesus. That you cannot preach one without the other. And we are going to be a Jesus-centered church because people are set free by the authority that Jesus has given the church and we're going to talk about him and we're going to pray and seek his face because he's the one that we build everything around. We give glory and honor to our Savior Jesus who died for us, who's coming back for us. Somebody help me praise him right now. He fulfills the, the, the word of God. He is the fulfillment of New Testament scripture. Jesus said in the beginning, or John wrote this about him, said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus is a divine person, but the prophets were inspired men. Jesus is the son of God, but the prophets were servants. The prophets were spokesmen, but Jesus was God speaking. So we understand that it's all about him, all built around him. And the voice that came out of the cloud in Matthew 17, 5 said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we understand that the Old Testament declared him. The New Testament talked about him in fulfillment. 
But then what has got to be the message of the church? What are we got to be about? Verse 2 of the text says that hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son who's made, he's appointed heir of all things and by whom all things he made the world's. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of God. Why would we waste our time talking about something other than this? Why would we think that people's lives could be changed by talking about something other than this? I want to do the best I can for, for God. I pray that often. But I'm here to tell you that my ability, whatever it might be, is only because of my relationship with him. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds the church by the word of his power. He is able to minister to whatever you deal with because of the word of his power. So what's got to be the message of us? Well, it is obvious to me that what the church has got to do is lift him up. I was privileged. Delana put a CD here on this teaching stand Wednesday night. And I was out uh, when I had my surgery. I missed a Sunday. And uh, I didn't get to hear the testimonies. Diana was in charge of that service. And uh, she had... Uh, Bill and Logan and Cody testified. Bill testified about his salvation. Not to be about because all three of those men, they had different experiences in their life they talked about, but they were all built around their relationship with Jesus. And so when the Bible says we got to lift him up, we got to lift him up. Jesus said in John 12 that if he would be lifted up from the earth, he would draw all men to him. That if we lift him up, he does the drawing. We don't have to draw people. I hear sometimes, I'm around preachers all the time, and I hear preachers say stuff like, oh, what, how, what, you know, things, something like this. What are we going to do to draw a crowd? What are we going to do? I'm going to tell you, the New Testament church didn't give away a bicycle. They didn't give away a camel. They didn't give away a donkey. They didn't have Philip Hughes Sunday. They didn't do any of that. All they did, they preached Jesus wherever they went, and they lifted him up. And when they lifted him up, the Spirit of God drew people. And so what we've got to be about it's not the gimmicks and the games as well-meaning as they are. I'm not knocking anybody for doing any of that. I can understand the, the debate people have, but I'm not going to go there. It's not about that. But I'm just here to tell you that if we lift him up, the Spirit of God will draw people to him. Amen and amen, Brother Hobbs. I think I'm preaching pretty good right now. How about you? Give God a good praise, right? would you? I mean, I love him. It's all about him. I mean, if you only knew us before we knew him, I tell you, it's, it's all about him. What a, what a savior. Jesus said we got to lift him up. In Acts chapter 2, I've already read that, about how Simon Peter lifted him up. In Acts 3, Peter and John go into the temple to pray and encounter a, a lame man that begged for a living. And he's begging for a living. And the men of God say, silver and gold have I none. 
but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And they took him by the hand and lifted him up and he began to not only walk, but to leap and to shout for joy. And where did he go? He went right to church. Hallelujah to God. Come on now, somebody help me praise him, will you? He went right to the house of God. And he started leaping. Could you imagine that? That old dead, dried up temple with a, lame, a man that was lame now just jumping and shouting and yelling and all how he upset the apple cart and upset the pattern of worship. Tom, would you come up, please? And got things just all discombobulated there, but my goodness, if what had happened to you had happened to him, you'd be leaping too. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ. The Bible said they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. In that verse 4 and in verse 5, said Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. So if we're not preaching Christ, we're not preaching New Testament doctrine. The message of the church has got to lift him up and the message of the church has got to be to proclaim his lordship. Jesus is Lord. Lord means he has the authority. Jesus has all authority. The president does not, Jesus does. Congress does not, but Jesus does. Steve Hobbs does not, but Jesus does. Aren't you glad about that? He's got all authority. And so what we do, what we better do is preach the Lordship of Christ. So that, I mean, I, I, I love uh, many things, everything Pam said, but one thing that sticks with me, I didn't think about till just now preaching this, where she said, I'm free. I'm free of you. I'm free. I, and I, if I want to worship, I, I can worship because I'm free. I'm not bound to what you think about me. I'm free. And you know, whenever you get wrapped up in the Lordship of Jesus and you get tied up in the Lordship of Jesus and you only care about him, some preachers call it an audience of one, which is cool. I mean, if you only care about him, then everything else is going to fall into place for you spiritually because I'm telling you, whenever he is Lord and you confess him as Lord, he's the Lord of your life, he has authority in your life, then glory be to God, you just give it all to him because he's got the authority. Give your sickness, your marriage, your finances, your sin. He has all authority. Not only is he Lord of all, but I, I close with this. In him alone, we have redemption. Revelation 13 and 8, John saw a vision of him. And John said he stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He saw what is called by some the paschal lamb, the sacrifice. He saw Jesus as a lamb that had been, forgive me if this is too gross for you, but a lamb that was butchered. The sacrifice of the lamb was a very, very gross thing. In Jesus, we see the pictures that people try to paint of him on the cross and that kind of thing, but those things are, so, are very sanitized because his sacrifice was anything but 
a sanitized look. John said he was like a lamb slain from the foundation of the Lord. You know what that means? We're getting ready to pray, but you know what that means? That means that God had a plan for your salvation before there ever was an Adam. Before there ever was a human race, God had a plan. Before you were ever born, God had a plan. God said, I got a plan for their salvation. And the plan of God for your salvation is wrapped up, of course, in Jesus. Because he stood as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in these last days, the Berea Church of God has got to be a church that is Jesus-centered, Jesus-preaching, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is salvation in none other. Because he was slain for you. He offered himself for you. He died for you. And he is here right now that if you need a Savior, he's here right now to save you. Praise God. Father, I speak your name in this house today. I pray that for any that are here today that are either lost and unsaved or in a backslidden condition and they need to rededicate their life, that Jesus will draw them, Father God, to you. We've lifted you up, Jesus. Now we trust you to do what you alone can do. While your heads are bowed,